Before we start this podcast, I want to definitely remind you of a sponsor for Fresh of the Word, 20 by 20 Apparel. Founded in 2015, 20 by 20 Apparel brings original tributes to pro wrestling's classic arenas, moments, and events. They look to spotlight the bloopers, bleeps, and body slams along with the biggest, smallest, strangest, and strongest. In a world of wrestling where there's hundreds of shirts, promotions, flyers, social media accounts, and ads, don't get lost in the sea of parody shirts and display fonts. They can provide professional graphic design services at a reasonable price. 20 by 20 also hand screen prints all the tees in-house. So if you'd like to discuss a possible run of tees, posters, koozies, foam fingers, or even Zubaz, then drop them a line at 20by20apparel.com. That's the number 20x, the number 20apparel.com. And also check out their enamel pin line. It's super cool. Fresh is the word. Fresh of the Word podcast. I am your host, Kelly K. Fresh Frazier. And like always, we have the freshest of guests for you. The guest for this episode is Grammy Award-winning Brooklyn-based multi-instrumentalist, composer, arranger, and producer Sly Fifth Ave, who just released his new album, What It Is, via True Thoughts Records. On this episode, we do a track-by-track breakdown of the new album and how his musical upbringing influences his work. We also talk about his move to New York over a decade ago, where he found a home at the Clubhouse, which is a home to a host of, of various New York talent, many who are uh, like on this new album. Along with the making of his critically acclaimed project, The Invisible Man, an orchestral tribute to Dr. Dre. Before we get into this interview with Sly Fifth Ave, just want to remind you about my other podcast, Renaissance Soul. It's my Detroit music history podcast. You can, uh, you know, check it out pretty much anywhere that podcasts are streaming. On um, both the podcast Renaissance Soul and Fresh the Word are streaming via Amazon Music now, so you can just type in those words and it should pop up for you if you uh, if you use Amazon. Um, besides that, you know, we're just living in this crazy world, man. Like the the outcome of the the Breonna Taylor case, not actually charging for her death, yo. That's man. Like they just finding new ways to to cover up black death in in America, and then Trump is just like, you know. He gets asked if he's gonna, you know, transition uh, peacefully. If he loses the election, and uh, he said, uh, we'll see about it. So, uh, yo, it's going to be a crazy, crazy, like, next couple months. Um, I posted something like this on my Facebook, and, like, you know, recently I was just having some trouble, like, feeling weird about, like, you know, a lot of times I hit, you know, I hit people up to see how they're doing, but I don't really hear from a lot of people. You know, I understand that, like, you know, we're all going through stuff, you know, but, like, like, yo, it's, you know, there, there has to be a little bit more, you know, two-way, you know, it has to be a little bit more two-way communication with people. So just remember, man, just like, yo, hit up, hit up some of your homies, you know, from time to time. Even it's like, yo, you good? You know, what up? You good? 
like just a little bit, you know, just something little, man. Just like, yo, I hope you're doing well. You know, something. It doesn't need to be a, you know, a long thing. It doesn't need to be a hangout. It doesn't need to be a three-hour phone call. You know, if you want to plan something like that with your homies, yo, cool. But, you know, when it comes down to it, just to, you know, stay in touch with people, you know, because it, just every little bit helps, you know, and I feel a little bit better today getting that off my chest and a lot of people, you know, responded. So, you know, it's cool that people are, you know, that I'm in people's thoughts, you know, and, you know, I definitely want to, you know, stay in touch with more people. So, you know, just to... You know, your strong friend's going to you know, need need somebody to talk to sometimes. Uh, just just stay in touch with people, man. An email, an IM, a text message, a phone call, you know. All that, you know, really helps. You mean, be like, yo, what up, though? <laughs> Something like that, you know. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be a crazy next couple of months. Uh, next month, uh, actually, no, November. And November's going to be the 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 fifth anniversary of fresh is the word and i'm trying to figure out something to do for that you know i'm st- i got a few ideas of people i'm gonna try to hit up uh so uh you know be on the lookout for that but i want it to be somebody that's like really special to me like like so we'll see what we'll see what goes on with that you know definitely i'm gonna be you know plastering the my social medias about that and I actually just realized how much, like, Facebook suppresses my podcast posts. Like, they they literally want me to pay, you know, they would re- really want you to pay if you want to, you know, promote anything. Because there's people who literally, like, engage in all my regular posts on there. That they have no idea that I do podcasts. Like, and I, I'm always posting about my podcast. And they're like, oh, what you been up to these days? I'm like... For real? For really? So I just I made a post today. I'm like, does anybody ever hear about the thing that I do twice a week? And a lot of people are like, nah, I don't see any of those. <laughs> so yeah, like I'm I'm trying to find new. You know, I might have to, you know, put a little bit of money maybe into some of these episodes of uh, promoting them. Uh, but if you're listening to this, please, please, uh, you know, share it with your, you know, share it with the homies. You know, send it through instant messengers or text message or DMs or whatever. You know, post it on your, you know, pages, whatever. You know, spread the word, man. And please, like, for, you know, for Renaissance Soul and Fresh of the Word, um, you know, please uh, rate and review it on, you know, Apple Music. Uh, or not, you know, Apple Podcasts. I'm um, not sure. I think Stitcher, you can, you know, rate and review things. Um, if you see a place where you can rate and review it, then, you know, do that. <laughs> All right, um, without further ado, after a uh, quick note from our sponsor, uh, we'll get into this interview with Sly Fifth Ave. All right, welcome back to the Fresh of the Word podcast, and like always, we have the freshest of guests for you, and the guest for this episode is a Brooklyn-based multi-instrumentalist, composer, arranger, and producer, Sly Fifth Ave. He has a new album... Uh, what it is coming out on True Thoughts. Thank you for uh, joining us, Sly. Yeah, thank you for having me, man. Glad to be here. You know. Yeah, man. This, uh, yeah, the new album, uh, really dope. You know what it is. You know, kind of uh, talk about uh, you know what was going through your mind when you were uh, you know first uh, sort of thinking about what you wanted to do with this album. Um. Shoot, 
Yeah, I guess journey of this album starts maybe like a little while back. Uh, I was doing like a bunch of um, uh, like covers, the orchestra covers with like a bunch of horns and then we added strings and some other stuff. But the, uh, through that process of arranging, I kind of really was able to hone in my production because I, I kind of realized how the two are related. And I had started writing a bunch of songs with my friend Denisha. Um, we would just meet up at my house every day, uh, just work on music, codename Strawberry Jam. But uh, yeah, over like the last five years, or what year is it, 2020? Shoot, I started learning to produce in like 2000. I started the covers in 2012. I started learning to produce in 2013. And it's basically just been my whole journey of just like everything that I've learned to this point. And like now I'm at the point where I'm like, all right, I'm ready to be like, all right, guys, I, I'm, I'm a producer. Like, I'm here. That's what I make. I mean, I guess that's what I've been doing all along, like with my jazz record or with the Dre record. Like, I've always kind of like tried to hold on to that role. But now I guess this is the first time of like, pre like presenting myself this way with no saxophone, nothing. Like, cause like, yeah, with saxophone or with orchestral compositions, like, yeah, I got a, I got a degree in that shit. So I'm just like, all right, I guess I'm qualified. So I feel more confident just because like I've, I've spent the majority of my life doing those things, like playing saxophone or playing in a big band or whatever. But yeah, this is the first time where I kind of put those things, you know, to the not to the side, they're part of very much a part of it because it's a part of me, but like just to where it's like, all right, I got a drum machine and a <laughs> DX100. Like, let's, you know, like uh, let's do it's some not things, about, yeah. it's not about virtuosity, I guess. Uh, yeah. So, like, it's, yeah. Yeah, let's go back a little because you mentioned, a, you know, a lot of things there. Um, you know, what was sort of like your beginnings in music? You know, when was sort of that first inkling that you wanted to do, do something in music? Mm, Blues Brothers. I saw the movie. <laughs> and Lisa Simpson. I saw the people. Uh, no, I just always liked music. I was always drawn to music. And I was I was actually telling the story the other day, but like I almost shot myself in the foot when it was time to join band. I didn't want to be, I was like 11. And I didn't want to be, um, I guess I gave it a peer pressure. And I was like, I don't want to be a band nerd, so I'm not going to join band which would have been the greatest disservice to myself. Right. Because there's literally nothing else that I'm meant to do on this earth. Yeah, screw but, peer um, pressure. Kids, if you're listening right now. Yeah. Peer pressure. No. <laughs> Say no to peer pressure. Just do what <laughs> makes you happy. Like, But uh, yeah, and I, I started playing. I was already in church choir before then. Singing church choir at the Minister of Music in my church. Uh, Deacon Warren Franklin. He passed away when I was 17, but we were real close and he was a big, a big part of um, teaching me how to play. So, yeah, I guess. So, you know, when you when, when you started, like, uh, started getting this inkling that you wanted to, you know, do music, you know, what were some of the things that you got involved in uh, besides what you just uh, explained? And, uh, you know, where did you, sort of your education about, you know, playing music sort of come from? Uh, yeah, well, too. I was like 14 up to that point. I told my parents, like, yeah, I want to be a doctor, save the world, 
<laughs> we use Noctis right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is the universe being like, see? <laughs> uh, no, but yeah. And then when I was 14, I joined jazz band and, and uh, had a really like inspirational band record too, in fact. And they just really inspired me to want to do it for a career. Um, and yeah, I was in, I guess I was in band, uh, until my senior year in high school and then I quit, but, um, for other reasons unrelated to music, because my band director was a, was just a, wasn't a good person oh. to this day, I stand by that opinion. Um, and he ruined a lot of, a lot of kids' education, but, um, so I joined choir in protest and that was nice. <laughs> Cause I was still in the same, I went over there and he was like, you're never going to be this, this, that, 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 whatever. And then I went to school, whatever. But um, yeah, I went to North Texas, uh, University of North Texas school. It was like a big jazz school in Texas, it was in state. Um, and just like, just had like a classical education. Like I played classical saxophone and jazz. And, uh, and that was the, I guess that was the foundation. Um, and then by the time I came to New York in 2010 and fresh out of school and I had, it was interesting because school, as many things as it taught me, um, there was, there, I was definitely unprepared for the real world. And when I got to New York, I was like, all right guys, I got my jazz degree. Like I'm ready for a big band gig and, blah, blah, blah. and everybody was just like, yo dude, shut up. <laughs> like, <laughs> nobody wanted to hear that shit. Like everybody, nobody had, like to this day, nobody has asked me like if I have like, yeah, the first year I was in New York, I would tell everybody everything about me. And I was like, you know what, man, I should just shut up and play, you know? And uh, that was a good lesson. <laughs> <laughs> what did you do at that point now that you're like, you're in New York, New York kind of smacked you in your face. Uh, like, how did you- hey, To put it lightly. <laughs> <laughs> to put it lightly, kind of smacked you in your face, you know, how did you sort of transition, you know? Dude, that was the first time in my life, like, I had to get, like, I mean, like, I had had jobs before, you know, um, and I, to this point, I hadn't ever really supported myself playing music, but, so, like, I knew when I got to New York, so I had talked to a bunch of people, I was like, shit, I gotta get a job job, like, and so I wasn't looking forward to that, but then I got, like, a really interesting job, I was, like, a rug salesman, 40 hours a week at Macy's of all places. So like my first New York experience, I was like in the heart and center of it. Like, <laughs> that was exciting for about a month. The job lasted <laughs> seven months. <laughs> and uh, no, nah, but yeah, I just worked a bunch of jobs, struggled. And then I met these people um, and I got lucky. I met, I knew a bunch of people from Texas and I met these guys at the clubhouse, uh, Denisha. Scene. Well, Denisha wasn't there. She came later, but Scene, uh, Andrew Thomas, Pace Rivers, Coop, Jay Jennings, like all these amazing musicians. And it was, um, it was the first time. Like I met them, and and I, and I went over there, and they were like, "Yeah, and we're like, we wake up every day and we start doing music at like eight, and we try to be done by five. Because I remember I went over there, and it was like ten o'clock. I was like, "Yo, let's make some beats." They're like, "Yeah, no, it's like dinner time." We're like, "It's." Whatever. I was like, what? This is weird. Y'all my age. Um, but 
Yeah, so I just started going over there every day, and they would because they have a computer, they have Pro Tools, and I didn't know anything about this stuff. Uh, and they were just like, "Yeah, we're making music. Come over and record horns." And I would be the horn guy. Me and Jay, we had to go over there for a bunch of horns, and I just kind of absorbed everything that was going on. We made like hip hop, and that was kind of like my school, my introduction into this whole thing. And then one day I was just like. Yo, I'm just gonna take a bunch of horns and do this because they would always be like, "Yo, we only need one saxophone." And I'd be like, "But I have eight ideas that I want to put on this track." And they're like, "Nah, we only need one, and we only need like the first note of the first idea that you came up with." And I'd be like, "Man, forget y'all. I'm gonna do my own tracks." And then I did. <laughs> I mean, amicably though, I wasn't. It wasn't nothing weird. Right. You know? I'm gonna go do my own thing too. You know. Yeah. I got all these things. <laughs> so, so was that like the seeds of like this album? that you know you started working on with i those think people. so that's probably where it like really started that was the first time yeah because I, I mean we would go over there and i mean i probably shouldn't say this but we would just my friend <laughs> my friend's wife now uh at his time his girlfriend uh this is before she she at a certain point they got pregnant well, before she got pregnant she used to be our chief blunt roller and so we would like it was like I'd be working forty hours a week at Macy's, and like every second, every day that I had off and I could go over there, I would wake up as early as I could. It'd be like the yeah, <laughs> just to not be in Macy's, just to be making music and just like hanging with like what ended up becoming like some of my best friends. Um, but yeah, like this is where it started. This is and like if I were to sum up this album, I would say it represents my first ten years in New York singing Denise, all the people that I collaborated with, those are people that I met at the clubhouse. Um, with the exception of Thalma. But like everybody else I met at the clubhouse, we came up together at the clubhouse. And um, yeah, and that's, sorry, the mattress lady's going by outside. Can you hear it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought, I'm like, is this going on here? Like oh shoot oh no I was there <laughs> yeah <they're> like yeah <laughs> um so uh you also were you know did this project it was a tribute to Dr Dre the Invisible Man it was this mm -hmm. orchestral project I remember hearing about it um you know uh you know this side of you know this side of the nation uh, when yeah. it happened because uh, you know Dre actually showed up at the performance you know. Sort of, you yeah. know, talk about your idea about, you know, doing that project and sort of how it came out, you know, and just like Drake co-signing it. Man, that was, I just wrote to somebody the other day, I was like, yeah, it's one of the single greatest nights of my life because it was, yeah, I got, it wrote, I, while I was at the clubhouse, I saw uh, a friend show me a suite, suite for my dudes, which was, the Jay Dilla, yeah, uh, Ferguson tribute, and like it was my life before that happened, and then there's my life ever since. Like that was like definitely a moment where I was like, nothing is the same now. Everything is different. Like the way I think about music and what it can do. Like it's from that moment, I was like, like I saw it, and then was immediately like, ah, oh, I gotta go <laughs> write an orchestra. hip hop something or whatever. I don't know. Because it was like kind <laughs> of like you're seeing like your education before being placed on things that maybe you didn't know that you could place it on. Yeah, I, exactly. Cause I was like, 
I'm like, man, I took a class in arranging. I mean, I almost failed it because like I was kind of a stoner in college and kind of lazy and I just wanted to practice saxophone all the time. I didn't want to <laughs> actually put in the work to to study um, outside of that and outside of just playing. But uh, I was lucky that I had a, 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 a teaching assistant who saw potential and didn't let me get away with that. So I like, by this time this came around, I was like, okay, I definitely remember some of these things that we learned. <laughs> so like, but um, yeah, I don't know. So I saw Sweet For My Dukes. So I was like, this is awesome. Fast forward a couple years later, I've been doing like covers in my bathroom and my, and my just recording at home, like Mitch Don't Kill My Vibe and all sorts of stuff. Club Casa Chamber Orchestra is what we called it after the Club Casa, the house I was living in. But I got approached by Eric Coleman and Katia Frazier from Mochilla and uh, Playing for Change. Mochilla was the same people that did the Jay Dilla, Sweet for My Dukes thing. And they were like, yo, we got this idea to do a tribute to Dr. Dre. And like, do you want to write the thing? I was like, yes, I've been waiting for this opportunity. Like, let's go already. <laughs> um, and we were like, it was, I, I was just fortunate because actually the person that came up with the idea was uh, a composer. His name was Tarek Kendall. He's uh, from Egypt. He's Egyptian, but he was living in, in Lebanon. So for obvious reasons in 2015, that was difficult for him to like be a part of the process in person. But we collaborated on um, two arrangements. One arrangement. Not the middle of I mean, it was limited what we could do, but we were in contact and he was definitely like the thing that inspired these guys to have the idea for the concert. Um, and so they asked me to do it and like basically for three to four, I said it was July, the concert was in November, yeah. For like four months, I didn't do anything but write and compose for that. I had a, I was like going through a rough time patch at the time and uh, money wise, I almost got evicted out of my apartment, but it was kind of spent every day uh composing um because i just kind of wanted to prove that i could do it i didn't really know in my mind that i could do it and then we did it and then started the saxophone going by the way. <laughs> yeah. uh, but yeah we did the concert and there was like some kind of mishap the recording didn't work out the uh, video didn't work out um six months later i was like man i we gotta record these songs uh it would be a shame to just like but did all this work and to never hear it again and there was a lot going on in the u.s at the same time i was like man i think this could could manifest into like a powerful body of work and so i approached the label and was like hey this is my idea and they supported it true thought supported it and um yeah then we had we had the invisible man the tribute to dr dre so but yeah dr dre comes to that concert was uh definitely it was funny because the week leading up to that, we were all, everybody was like, like there was, like there were 10 people on our team. Everybody was trying to get a Dr. Dre through like, all right, I know his hairdresser. All right, I know his best friend. All right, I know his DJ, his DJ, his DJ in the event. So this should help get him. Cause it was like, with somewhere like that, you know, then it's just, you gotta, you gotta go in at all angles. And then, so right. like we did the first half of the concert and like, not to, I was, fucking terrified like I'd never been in front of an orchestra live like everything I did to that point was like 
in my bathroom. Like I overdub it, <laughs> we recorded it. You know, like we had this little small closet. It was like me and one other person. And you know, like I could experiment. But I was like, in live, it's like, all right, now I gotta remember the conducting class, which I failed because I'm like, I'm like, how do I do this? Like move the hands and shit. Like to this day, I'm still pissed off that I didn't take better advantage of that. But like now I actually have to do it. But the so I get up there and like I'm shaking, and the very first song fucks up. Like the, the first note is fucked up. I'm like, oh my God, I'm gonna this whole thing is gonna be terrible. And then like, all right, kept it together. And then we made it through the first half. It was good. And then I walk off stage, fucking Dr. Dre is standing right there. I'm just like, yo, I'm so happy I didn't know you were there. <laughs> There's no way this shit would have happened. Like, if he was, if he was, yeah. And so, like, I saw him halfway through, and then it was just kind of like, a, all right, I made it through. And Dr. Dre saw it. Second half is about to be on fire. Let's go. <laughs> like, yeah. So. My mom has a video of him nodding his head. She sat behind him in the, in the audience. And she kind of... Were you able to talk to him at all? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, I mean, it's really brief. It's really, really brief. I just told him, I was like, yo, man, I grew up listening to you. You're an inspiration. Thank you for everything you do. He's like, yeah, man. And he kept calling me the conductor. And I was like, motherfucker, I wrote this shit. <laughs> ah, like, stop that. <laughs> Not, not on some egotistical thing, but I was just like, I mean, he, he was like super big celebrity, like it's so like he was there. You're like, I wish he knew I wrote this too. I'm like, dude, I wrote this, man. Call me for your next record. Like, I'm ready. Like, let's go. <laughs> like, I don't just wave my hands around. <laughs> but uh, no, it was cool, man. The fact that he, I got to shake his hand and I got to, I got to look at one of my heroes and I, and he was. Uh, and then he stayed in and watched the rest of the concert, which was, it really meant a lot to be able to make that music to somebody that I respect that much musically and to have them be able to see it. And to have my mom, like my parents was like two wrote It was like all these hard ass, like aftermath dudes, just like, you know, brolic, like, and they were just like tapping their feet, nodding their heads to like violins and stuff. Yeah. Like, yeah, it was, it was cool, great experience. So what was so what was like sort of the results of all of that? You know, how did you feel after that? You know, what you know, did it open any doors for you? You know, what came of that that performance? Yeah, I think it did. I think it led me to like where I am now. Like it all because I guess there was a point where I was kind of confused, like if I was gonna be like an arranger. Like in turn, like just like yeah, I just do like orchestra stuff. Like I'm the orchestra guy or whatever. And but um, I don't know. At some point, I think like when what it is is coming together, I've kind of realized that like all of those things are one and the same. Like the um, the orchestra stuff and everything. I yeah, I just I just realized that they're all like kind of connected. I mean, it definitely opened some doors. Like. Uh, yeah, for just people seeing it. And um, actually, it opened a really big door in Detroit. And this is what legitimized me somewhat as a conductor. But this guy saw the concert. His name's Jake Bass. Jake Bass. I'm not sure if I'm not the last name right. But his dad uh, was, um, oh, I can't remember his name. But Louis Resto and I think it's Mike Bass. 
The guys that did the eight mile soundtrack. Oh yeah, like the uh, the Bass Brothers. Yeah, they did a lot. Bass of Brothers. Yeah, yeah, they yeah, did. Yeah. They did a lot of production for uh, you know with Eminem on the early albums and stuff. Yeah, and it was it was funny because like immediately after that, my friend Omer, he's like, "Yo, I got this guy. He wants to talk to you about doing the orchestra thing in Detroit." And like I'm like, okay. Uh, and he hit me up. It was through this guy Sean Forbes. He's a he's a a, a rapper who's who's deaf. Yeah. And, and He's dope. And I like I never thought he was even possible. But they had this concept of a show with the Detroit Symphony Orchestra, uh, with that featuring deaf artists for a mixed audience. Um, and like we interact it was in it was like a two year back and forth talking process, but sure enough, like a year and a half ago we actually did it. Because like we would talk for a while and then it was like, ah, it's not going so well and then but then they came together, but we did, yeah, we did, a, I got to conduct the Detroit Symphony Orchestra, which That's is a completely different experience than conducting a bunch of jazzers, yeah. jazz musicians on stage, because <laughs> they're looking at you like, look, man, don't, don't mess this up. Like, they, they've worked with, like, some of, like, the, the best of the best, yeah. you know, conductors and everything around the world, you know, like, like our, you know, the DSO conductor for a long time, Leonard Slacken. He's like the. He, he's so bad. He's so he's so awesome. Oh my yeah. god. Yeah. Dude, I, I I I was watching videos of him before I went there. Oh my god. <laughs> it was cool though because the orchestra was super nice because they were like, uh, like we we went and I did it, and they were <laughs> they could tell like the guy walks up to me after the rehearsal. He's like, hey man. How many times you know this? I was like, ah, a couple times with my own man. I was like, kind of like trying to phone it in or trying to pretend like, yeah, I don't know. And he's like, hey, man, you're doing a great job. It's like, it's like we could tell. <laughs> you pulled up your hand and you were like shaking. Because <laughs> <laughs> at this point, like I had done it a few times, but I was like, oh my God, this is the Detroit Symphony. <laughs> There's like 80 people looking at me right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Detroit Symphony Orchestra has always had like, um, you know, especially over the past few years or, or so, had some a lot of very interesting things that they've been a part of. And um, yeah, it's cool that you you were able to uh, have that experience. Yeah, but you know, hopefully, if this continues to bear fruit, that concert, I don't know, I was just one of the lucky things that I was fortunate to be a part of. I think. All right, getting back to the uh, to the new album, you know what it is. Um, if you don't mind, I would love to do just like kind of like a track by track breakdown and just kind of a few thoughts on each track, you know. Um, yeah, sure. Yeah, the first uh, song on the album is uh, Boulevards. Mm-hmm. Kind of like talk about you know anything that you you know you know the meaning behind it or any sort of stories that come to mind. Uh, that one. Yeah, I feel like I made like a series of demos for Anderson Park. Um, well, they were made with him in mind. Did he actually ever hit him? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> but somebody hit me up and was like, hey, you should make some demos for so-and-so. But I never heard back. So I was like, hey, man, I really like this song. I'm going to use it. <laughs> and uh, I sent it to my friend, Denisha. And she sent it back. And I was just like, what did you just write? Like, it was the most poetic lyrics 
like another night falling, another day cut wait, another day calling my name. I come running. I know the moment. My moment is today. And he's always long at the hands of the yeah, I think I messed up on there. But anyway, I heard it and I was like, man, this is amazing. Uh, and yeah, we, we was like, let's, let's make this our song. It's called Boulevards. Um Yeah, that's it. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the next uh song is Consequence. That was the B side of Boulevards. It's basically just the 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 later instrumental kind of jam. And uh yeah, it's called Consequence because it was like it's a consequence of what happened before. You know, everything that you do has a consequence. This is it was instrumental. I was like, hmm, this is kind of like a reflective piece because it comes out of one and then goes into like this like jazzy kind of saxophone thing at the end. Which is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, the next joint is called What It Is, the album track. Yeah, that was uh I had this beat and uh, again, yeah, man, failures. Failures are important because I made a beat for somebody else and like, I don't like it. I was like, well, I do. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we made it and I called up Science and Science came over and yeah, me and Science met way back at the clubhouse. I played on a bunch of his records. Um, yeah, but always been one of my favorite MCs and we were sitting there talking. I was just like, Hey man, uh, like we should definitely write about something. Like it shouldn't just be like, uh, whatever. And I think I was feeling like kind of a way, like, I was like, man, I hate when people are trying to tell you how we were having a conversation before we started. Like I hate when people are trying to tell you how to be or how, how you are. Like when people like you're trying to, like someone asks you a question and kind of, they kind of like answer it for you, you know, or like they, like people, Kind of, kind of the same way that like people see you and then invest you with something. They invest you with whatever fears or with whatever hopes. Like you're supposed to be more or less than. And I was just kind of like, yo, it is what it is. Like I'm really tired of other people telling me like what I'm like, like and what my experience is, you know. And uh, it's like, oh, so what it is. Because here, right here, this is it. Like, you know, and yeah. That, and then that ended up being the theme of the whole album. I thought it was the best one. It's funny that we didn't make it a single, but I think it's cool. It's still the title track because it kind of sums up like the whole like nervousness and anticipation of like presenting something completely different. I mean, I don't think it's that different, but I guess like most people, to most people, it's completely different than what they're, they're used to hearing or maybe what they came to, to know me by like Invisible Man or something. Yeah, now, now that this album is done, that there is sort of that theme of, you know, what it is, you know, sort of your kind of trying to show people, you know, define in a certain way who you are, you know. How do you feel about that in comparison to, you know, before? I mean, yeah, I, I, I welcome it. I mean, it's, I guess it's, the, I look at like, I look at Prince for like an example or like Miles Davis, um, and I'm, there's plenty of others, but those are the two most obvious. Just because uh, they like were constantly, they are always surrounded by band members that were younger than them. They were always changing their sound. And like, I remember it's taken me like, you know, over the last 20 years, or how, I don't know, 30, 
my last like 15 years, like I've gone through different phases of both of those artists. I like their music from the earlier period, the later period, but it's just like, I feel like they constantly, one thing you can say about them, if you look at what the music they made at the beginning of the career, the music they made when they left, like it was, it, it was a constant evolution. They, it's almost like they, they couldn't make two records that sounded the same. I mean, maybe a couple, but like they couldn't, they couldn't stay in the same place for more than a couple of years. And I, yeah, I think it's okay, man, if, we, if it makes people uncomfortable. First time I heard the Pimple Butterfly, I was like, I don't know if I like this. And now, to, now it's like one of my favorite records. But like, I, I listened to it, I was like, yo, I respect this as a piece of art. But like, it's kind of like, a, it's, a, it's a little different to take in to what I'm used to hearing. Um, and I'm cool with that. I think, yeah. I just, I just want to keep growing. What, you know, what's sort of your mind state of your own um, like evolution as a music artist? You know, how important is it to be open-minded and honest about what you like, what you don't like, where do you want to go, you know, what you're not feeling anymore, what you're feeling now, you know, sort of talk about your sort of, uh, you know, mental state about, you know, you know, this evolution as yourself. Mm -hmm. I think, uh, uh, yeah, I felt like when I was in jazz school, like I, I got a very concentrated, highly specialized education. Like I'm a saxophone assassin. You need me to play saxophone? I can do that shit most better than like better than most people in the world. Like not on not on some like existential shit, but just like I studied it, practice eight hours a day for like. You're confident about you know the lengths that you you know learned it and and are able to appropriate it in different ways. Yeah, like I feel like like I learned that, like I studied. I mean, I've been playing it for over twenty something years, but like you know, I had a very narrow mindset like i feel like i had the blinders on you know yeah. like i was in school even like i mean like of course i was in the hip-hop i grew up with that and like but i'm like i like in college like it was because that was like the usb hard drive sharing days and like we would you know get terabytes or not ter it was still gigabytes gigabytes of music for people like you know get like d'angelo slum village i remember that's when i got turned on the slum village for real and like Talib and like all these other people. Yeah. So like I was still like kind of jazzy. Pretty much my mindset at the time was like, jazz is the most highly evolved form of music. And like pop music is stupid. <laughs> yeah. Because I would see like simple types of music is like I just went into it in that those four years, it was I was all about like jazz. And then like there'd be like hip hop and I was, like the RH factor, like Roy Hargrove, that was like yeah. You know, I was like, yo, that's tight. Like, we can fuse it like that. We're going to be cool. Like, we're going to make a cool band like that. And when I came to New York, I, like, all of a sudden had to make, I was making music for these people who had no music education. But I couldn't deny that, like, I loved the music that they made and that I liked what they did. Um, and so I just had to learn a different way. And then that's when I was just like, wait a minute. Like, I've been thinking about this completely wrong. Like, like these are just tools that I got. But, like, yo, it's like, you don't have to be a singer to sing. You don't have to be able to play guitar. You, you, you know what I'm saying? Like you can, you can still like you can be an artist. You can make to to make art. I guess you can you can. You don't have to be the most highly evolved musician and have studied for twenty years. <laughs> I mean, like yes, you need to study your craft, but like, yeah, and the music doesn't have to be you know crazy complex layered to yeah. be. It can be simple, but also just very pointed and and amazing. Yeah, I, I think that's so far. That's it. I just I went from only looking at jazz, and then 
I met these wonderful people at the clubhouse, and they opened my mind to other possibilities. And and now I just, yeah, I just try and take in as much as possible, and just try and keep. Hopefully, it keeps changing a little bit. And well, yeah, that's that's how I'll see it, I guess. Uh, the next join is uh, Seaside. Seaside, yeah, that was a strawberry jam. Uh, uh, Actually, I still got like seven or eight other songs on my computer with me and Denisha that I mean, we'll get around to releasing sooner or later, but yeah, that that one was like uh, futuristic space jam. <laughs> what else can I say about it? The end. Yeah, I don't know how to describe that one just other than outer, futuristic outer space jam. You and Denisha seem to have a r- amazing chemistry on the songs that are on these these records. Sort of talk about like working together, you know, and where that sort of you know I know just uh, working at the clubhouse and whatnot uh, kind of uh, built that. But you know, what's you know speak more about your your work with her. She was a uh, she we we've been good friends. We met through Philip Lasseter. Um, maybe my first, second year, 2011 in New York. But, um, yeah, we've just been really, really, really good friends. And it's, it's awesome because, uh, like it's, it's like true, true friendship, you know, like not, I can, I can count on her and I express myself to her and I've always loved her voice. And actually it was funny because when she had come to New York, she had just come from Nashville. And so I noticed this thing about her songs, like they were all, like all of her songs, if you listen to them, like they're all amazing stories. Now, like the words that she uses and how she puts it together, but she came, she's from Texas, but she came up singing in Nashville. And so she learned that whole like storytelling tradition, you know, that exists there um, through the legacy of like country music and stuff. And uh, I remember like specifically one Christmas, and this is when I knew but we're gonna be best friends forever. But uh, we were living at the clubhouse and everybody left. And this is a house with like anywhere from eight to 15 people living there at a time. And uh, it's not a quiet place and everybody had left. And me and Denisha were just on some like super hyper focus vibe. Like, right, right, we got two weeks. We don't got no, like, we got a little bit of work. We, we got to go to the, she was working at a coffee shop. I was working at a restaurant. We got to do a little bit of work. Uh, but like, we would wake up every day at like eight. There was a piano in the living room. Like, I'd be practicing. My, she'd be doing her thing over here. And then we would come together and we would write music. We wrote all these songs. And that was the beginning of Strawberry Jam. Uh, but like, yeah, it was just like, and we still talk about it. It's like, yo, that was such a magical two weeks. Cause it was like, yo, there was no, no interference. It was just like, yo, we just got to just wake up every day and do music. And it was, the vibe was right. And yeah, it's, but yeah, I, I think Denisha is one of the most talented singers I've ever met, one of the most talented songwriters I've ever met. Her voice is unique, one of a kind. And uh, I love making music with her. It's, it's easy. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, the next uh, song is Daddy Warbucks. <laughs> oh, Daddy Warbucks. Scene. Scene is the first guy, second guy, third guy I met at the clubhouse. I don't know. 
uh, amazing lyricist, now turned actor. He's famous. <laughs> I like on his Instagram, I'm like, you got how many million thousand followers? What? <laughs> uh, but no, man, it's, it's, it seems like one of the, he's another genius, another genius, like songwriter, like somebody that just does it completely. Like, he's one of those people, like, if you see him in, like, he would constantly get underestimated by people, like, in terms of, like, uh, working with, like, other musicians sometimes. But seeing those exactly what's going on, like, he, I've never, he's a work, like, never seen him, I put words together like that. Like, and him and Denisha had a band together, which was dope, Denisha and Sing. But uh, yeah, like he, I've seen people underestimate him because they think he's just some dumb rapper, you know? Like, but like he grew up playing violin. He understands like keys, he produces his own songs. Like, and he's not gonna tell you like, yo, that's a C major seven sharp five or whatever. But he's just gonna be like, yo, that's not the right chord or he can hear it. And he's actually been one of my, uh, what's the word for? Best, best production teachers because I would always get so mad. I'm like, yo, it's the wrong chord. He's like, so? <laughs> or like, <laughs> like, or you know, we would argue and get into it over. But man, he's always believed in me and like really supported me and, and trying to because he he could kind of see it before I did that. Like, yo, I think this is a path that maybe you should consider going down, like doing songs. Um, but like, yeah, they, so he he was he was a rapper and then uh, some go through the singing phase. While we were at the clubhouse, we had a band together called Recess. I don't know where that EP is on the internet, but it's somewhere. It's awesome. Um, but yeah, scene, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be a record without him. It's like that's that's one of my best friends. I am played at his wedding, know both of his daughters, like yeah, like, <laughs> that's my guy. Nice. Uh the next uh track is Interlude A. Interlude Day was the, oh, this is embarrassing. <laughs> I got to remember. Interlude A was, oh. Oh, okay, yeah. Interlude A was the first part of Xbox Trio. It was with all the woodwinds and banging the jiggers. Right? Yes. Okay. Figured it out. <clears throat> um, but no, it was, uh, yeah, I was just like, I want to do like a, a nice little intro to x with that kind of, just something to kind of tie in, maybe like what people knew, like the more woodwind chamber elements and stuff like that. Yeah. Work. Okay. Yeah. Let's go on to uh, x Expatria was my first time working with a singer other than Denisha or Sin. Uh, but it was also a really good friend, Thalma Nezufritis. She's an a amazing singer from originally born in Rio de Janeiro. But actually, a little known fact, she's like a soap, like television superstar there. <laughs> she gave all that up to come to the United States and pursue music. Um, and I met her on my first tour of Quantic. She was singing because uh, she had just released his album Magnetica and she did um, a couple songs on there. And I met Quantic with B. So B is the connection. Um, 
and uh, yeah, it was, it, so we I was staying with him, with her and her husband, and we got Ellie, her that beautiful daughter. But um, and we we were I was staying there, and I had gone up there. I was there for a while. We were gonna work with some songs. Uh, so we started this one, and at the time there was like a bunch of crazy stuff going on in Brazil. Um, just kind of like now. I mean, now I guess a bunch of crazy stuff going on in the world, but. She uh, she was just really upset because she's like, I love my country. And we, we started talking about the word saudade. Because we were listening to some different songs. Saudade is kind of like this longing or this feeling of like missing something. It's not really sad. It's not really happy. It's just kind of like sorrow. Like It's like sorrow or just like, I don't know. But we kind of got deep on the subject. And then she's like, yeah, I love my country. Like I miss my country, but man, it, it's fucked you know like it's they're killing people in the streets they're destroying the rainforest like there's no tip like the, the people who are in charge and, and so then this song expatriate came out and i remember hearing it and i was like damn that sounds tight what do you say <laughs> and, and uh and she explained it and i was like whoa those lyrics are deep and heavy and i'm not going to tell you to write some happy shit. So like, that's what it is. Let's go. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> uh, the next one is The Night. The Night. That was, oh, Melissa. Me and Melissa went to school together. And uh, she, we've, yeah, every single, actually every single band that I've ever had, she's been uh lead singer. <laughs> she is, she is, um, I've always been a fan of hers. And um, yeah, when we did jazz in school, we had a band called New Vintage. It's like kind of our, our little interpretation of the artist factor. But the night was, um, it's kind of just like about like being uh, depre depressed. Yeah, being depressed. Like we wrote it in the winter. I was like, yo, it's kind of a melancholy song. And just been like, it was the night doesn't last forever. But like we wrote that one together, that was cool because uh, just to be a part of like the lyric, I don't consider myself like a lyrics person, but you know, to be, you kind of gotta like be aware of it, I guess. And so she allowed me to participate. But um, yeah, she's she's incredible. That's long, but she did a great job. Uh, the next track is the Expatria uh, Interlude. Expatria Interlude. That was just the uh, interlude, just to kind of tie things together. I was like, man, this is... Because it, I think we were listening to it, and there was like a section that I forgot to mute, and it came up like one day, it was just playing, and it came up like while I was doing something else, and I was like, huh? And I was like, listening <laughs> back, and I was like, that's kind of tight. Like, yeah. And I like to think of like, I, don't know, I was like thinking the album is like something kind of like woven together from start to finish as, as much as possible. Um, yeah, kind of like with uh, you know, with your background, you know, arranging and whatnot. What was sort of like your uh, thought process about the sequencing of this album? Yeah, I just just wanted to feel like the kind of like a journey, I guess. Like when you listen to it, like you had, but you start, and then hopefully, if you can make it all the way through, um, then you feel complete by the end. You know. And I'm like, ah, but like, yeah, especially with that one, it was like, you listen to this, it starts slow, then it goes a little boom, 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 then it goes back slow. 
And then there's just this kind of like chops beat part. Dun, 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 like where I accidentally looped like off of me, but I was like, well, this this was really cool. I like it. Let's just do it like a quick little 30 second thing. But yeah, I think this it just needs to feel like a, a journey as much as much as as much as possible. Right. Uh, the next joint is uh, right here. Another joint with uh, Denisha. Ooh, yeah. That one was called, it used to be codenamed 1625. It was, uh, that's my favorite chord progression. But, um, yeah, that was like, I made, I had just gotten Logic. I just got a computer. I had a gig. I got some money. I finally bought a computer, a good one, that I could have, like, Logic and Pro Tools and stuff. <laughs> and so, uh, I made this beat and I was like, yeah, I like this. This is before I had even really, it's a while ago. But um, when I sent it to her, she's like, yo, this song. <laughs> this song, like, I gotta find something to this. Um, but yeah, then that, that one kind of came about. It was like, the, it started with the marimba, the boom, ba doom, ba doom, ba doom, ba doom, ba doom. And it used to just be only that, but then, um, yeah, and then it evolved into what it is today, right here. Uh, the next joint is uh, more or less. More or less, Marlon Craft, Kingdom, Young Kingdom, hip hop. Watch out, the kid is awake and has got bars. It's crazy. <laughs> Listen to his music too, man. Like, oof, he's a force, um, and he's fighting for his respect too. I see him, but uh, yeah, that one. I met Marlon randomly through uh, a friend, but um, actually, I knew his manager Kenny was working with one of my friends at the time, and. Uh, they were both like 19 at the, when I first met I think I was like 20. I'm a little, a little older. Um, I don't know how much older, but they were like super young when I met them. And <laughs> I met Molly. He's like, yeah, I rap. I was like, cool, man. Like, yeah, we should work with some stuff. And and this is back when he, you know, I guess he was just starting out or whatever. Um, we started, we kind of worked on something. And then there's a, Life happened for a little bit. We kind of fell out of touch for maybe a year or two. Then, like, I had this beat. I was like, yo, we need, like, a hard MC that can come in, and it's not going to just be like, yo, my dick, my gun, my whatever. <laughs> like, but talk about some shit. <clears throat> and I knew that he would be, like, perfect for it. And so I sent, I sent it to him. I was like, yo, if you're feeling this, maybe try to write something. It's like, and then he sent me back and completed song. And it was like, hey, actually, some ideas I have in mind. It's super rough. Uh, but like we could definitely flesh them out when we get together. Uh, and he said it's super, he's like a super rough. And I was like, well, we could just put this out like it is right now. <laughs> like, um, but no, we we came back together um, and, and got up and, and did it. And that's when I realized that he knew who Chameleon there was, which he was in Texas. I was I gave him a lot of respect for that because I feel like a lot of rappers ignore the Houston tradition and like all the things that were happening like in the south in the 90s like deep history deep history it's crazy my my cousins used to make fun of me when i would go to detroit actually they'd be like like, 
yo, you heard of this new music called Slow Down? I was like, you mean chopped and screwed music that we've been listening to for the last 10 years? But like, yeah, yeah they got a funny. deep history that is just so like, it's theirs, man. That it's just so uniquely Dude. theirs. It man, it's crazy because like all modern music sounds like exactly. Everybody kind of took <laughs> like like after a while, everybody kind of took it, and after all these years of kind of like ignoring it, like yeah. all the, there's like so much of that like Houston, you know, sound is just in modern music now. It's funny, man, because. Yeah, like that. Yeah, I crack up laughing. Like at this point, I'm like, man, like, yeah, I, 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 people like you make trap. I'm like, yeah, but and yeah, sometimes I do. But I'm also just like, but we've been making it for like 30 years. Y'all want to make something new? <laughs> right. Um, no, no shade, no shade. Music be music, but it's ironic. I say that. Right, right. When um, cause. In regards to working with uh, Marlon, uh, and and also you know taking into uh, account that like you cut your teeth being around this community, uh, the clubhouse, sort of like how important is it to sort of you know have you know have that community, but also like also take your opportunities and lend it a little bit to the younger uh, you know the guys that are really hungry. It's the most important. Um, there's nothing more important uh, because, like, I'm going to die one day. I mean, modern science, I don't know if coronavirus might mutate and make me live forever or what the fuck. But now the most important thing is to invest it in the youth. Like, to invest, like and if you're the way, because I've, 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 I've thought about this, like, really deeply, like, I feel like it's impossible to be a real musician and to not be an educator because it's like, if you were a real musician, you love the music, you love the music. You want it to be executed at the highest level possible. You want to make people feel a certain thing, whatever it is that makes you love it. That's, you know, you want that to happen. And it's like, and that kind of goes back to your, to being back in high school and uh, that band teacher who was an asshole. Yeah, because I'm like, dude, if you, you you have to love it and you can't, you have to know that like you can't, you can own, you can't control it. Like you can't own it for yourself. Like it's like, like yeah, once you put it out there, it's like, like the world has this like control over it. They have like a weird, like non-ownership ownership of it. You know, there's the, the, the world has it, you know? Yeah. Man, I think that like, yeah, like if because if, if I were to just be like, oh, I'm not gonna teach anybody anything I know, then it dies with me. And then that's, why would I live that fatalistic kind of life? You know, that's kind of I don't know. But like, yeah, I think it's the most important, man. I think like as much as possible, we have to pour back into our youth, not just in music, but in all things. Um, yeah, because you kind of mentioned it earlier with uh, Miles Davis and uh, and Prince. They always had people younger than them. You know, in their bands and everything, so he was kind of feeding off that energy, also. Like they, yeah. they're both because you know they they looked at things a lot differently than your regular person, regular musician, um, and had these amazing musicians around them. So like they were, you know, they you know fed off of them, but then put their like insane touch on everything. Yeah, I mean, because the kids are listening to some stuff that like I've never heard of. 
they're listening to like and so they're gonna constantly educate me because they're like it's just the same way like when i was like 18 and i'm like off oh, yo this is facebook or like this is this new artist or whatever but like yeah like if i'm allowed to just sit in my ways then it, it i stop growing so i have to like be constantly surrounded by people like i give what i have to the young people who might need some of it and i need them to give me what they got because i don't know nothing about that you know <laughs> Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> um, the next uh, track on the album is Interlude B. Interlude B was, it, well, it was the tail end of right here. It was uh, like, yeah, I guess usually I like to like, throw a bunch of things and then peel away. And uh, sometimes in the peeling away, there's always like a little insection that ends up getting created somehow. And that was the end of, of right here. I was like, oh, this is so pleasant. We should just have this for like 30 seconds. <laughs> just, <laughs> just before we slow it right back. Because it's like, more or less. And then, yeah, it's calm and tranquil. And then that leads you to the last song. <laughs> yeah, and the light, last song on the album is with you, uh, another joint with Denisha. That was my favorite song on the record. Uh, first single. In hindsight, was the best one to do first. I don't really care, but the um, I liked it because I was a because there's the first version of that song was like this crazy, uh, this I don't know. It had like so much production. There was drums, bass, guitars. There was horns. There was a string section. Like it was just like this. Ah, <laughs> and then. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's cool. When me and Denisha got together, Denisha's like, yo, can we mute half this shit? I was like, all right. And it was hard for me because I was like, this other part was so cool because this was a lesson that I had to learn of like, you can't get married to the part. You have to be married to the song, the idea of making the best song. And so all these little parts that I was so in love with, I was like, but this part is so amazing. You sure you want to get rid of this? And we just ended up muting everything except for her voice, a kick, a snare, and like, I think there was like a, the tiniest snippet of uh, of a, there was like, we sampled one bar of the strings and we put that sam sample in, in one place. And then the horns came in for like four bars at the very end, but like we turned away all this stuff and then it's a super simple song. But I just, I just thought it was, it was one of my favorite because it was a lesson just like, first of all, less is more, and to just like when you're creating something, try not to try not to be to get caught up in the in the, uh, the ideas. Just like let the, let it happen. Because when once I was like stop being so attached to everything, then we were able to make that. I think it, I think it worked out better than what would have happened otherwise. You know, now that the album is done, you know, what do you hope your audiences get out of listening to this album? Hmm. Um, shoot. I hope they feel inspired, you know, that's, I hope they like listen to the songs, listen to the subject matter. I hope they accept, I mean, I hope, I hope they like it. I hope they buy it. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, I just, I guess the thing that I learned most from this was just be myself, I guess. Um, and just 
it is what it is. So I think that theme is really important, um, especially today, COVID, Black Lives Matter, like um, accepting ourselves for who we are, accepting others for who they are. But um, yeah, I, I hope that it will inspire people to, lead, to live their truth. This is my truth. This is this is this is what it is. I was that's this could have been out like actually no, I think it came out right when it needed to, but there was definitely like something inside of me that was afraid to release it for a long time. So yeah. I hope that's what they picked from me. Well, you know, uh how'd you get past that, you know, sort of fear of putting it out? Uh hmm. I don't know. I started put. I get. I don't even really know what was the catalyst. Cause I was making a bunch of. I had this other band IGBO, and uh, we were making a bunch of music. Uh, I don't know really what caused me. I think maybe at a certain point I was just like, I think what it was is I started making better songs. I was like, well, I can't put out the better songs until I finish what I started. Because like my friend told me a while ago, he's like, the name of the game isn't to be the best musician to make the most song. The name of the game is just to finish. That's the only thing you need to keep in your mind is to finish. And so like I, my conscience, I was like, well, I got all these other ideas for records. <laughs> but like I have these records, which, are, which I think are, are okay. I'm kind of nervous to put them out because like, I, think, I think part of it's like, yo, I think I can do it better now because I've learned more in some of these we started, you know, at the very beginning of that journey. But I was like, but no, man, I gotta finish. I gotta finish it, I gotta, gotta like complete it. And then when I completed it and looked at it, I was like, wow, like, okay, this is different than I thought it was gonna be. Like when you actually put that time into finishing something. So now I'm like, all right, <laughs> the ones I was excited about, I can't wait to put those out. <laughs> I mean, I was excited about these as well, but I'm just like, you know what I mean? But you know what I mean though, like I was, I guess, yeah, I had like other songs like, oh, this is so fire. But I'm not about to just like leave all of this that I've invested so much into just sitting here and just never doing anything with it. And right. The production journey has to start somewhere. Yeah, and, you if you, and if you like, if you like release that, that new stuff that you just worked on and then you're like, oh, I want to release this older stuff, it'll seem kind of weird and can, like when you look at the body of work, you know? Yeah, I, yeah. So I think now I got like a good flow, and I feel like I feel good. I feel good about it being out. I'm glad to share it with the world. Nice. Um, I'm also excited to. I'm definitely trying to finish. I got one, yeah. Trying to by September 18th, I want to have two more records in the can, ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that goes to my next uh, question. You know, why we as we wind down here, you know, what's the future got in hold for you? Anything you can talk about? You know, just what do you want to do next? Uh, shoot, first live Well, I got I got what it is part two, which is probably not gonna be called that. Um, and that one. 50% done? Nah, 40% done. Still, I guess, features. But it's coming. I'm excited about it. Um, living in Mexico City. And my roommate and I just finished the record. It's kind of like um, 
so we recorded like some live jazz sessions and then and then came back and edited them after the fact it's an instrumental record um and i mean that's it for now i think i'm still trying to figure out a way to to make an orchestra record of original music potentially a, another orchestra tribute coming in the future but i can't talk about that one but uh but yeah it's working as much as possible producing horn arranging string arranging whatever people need me to do trying to survive in the pandemic <laughs> All right, man. It's been great talking with you, Slot. The new album is is phenomenal. I really dig it. Uh, go cop that uh, album, What It Is, via uh, True Thoughts Records. Um, before we uh, get out of here, where can people go online to get more information about you? Uh, we have a website, slotbev.com. Um, also, Facebook, Instagram, everything, Slotbev. Thank you for listening to the Fresh of the Word podcast. Hosted and produced by myself, Kelly K. Fresh Frazier. Empowered by Anchor at anchor.fm slash Fresh of the Word. Fresh of the Word theme music provided by Steve O. You can find more of his productions at imsteveo.bandcamp.com. And that's E-Y-E-A-M-S-T-E-V-E-O.bandcamp.com. Fresh of the Word is available on all major streaming platforms. Please rate and review on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. If you want to support Fresh of the Word, please consider pledging via Patreon at patreon.com slash Fresh of the Word. Follow Fresh of the Word on social media on Twitter at Fresh of the Pod, on Instagram at Fresh of the Word Podcast, and join the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Fresh the Word. For more information about Fresh of the Word and our other podcasts, Breaking Records and Renaissance Soul, and a collection of pop culture articles and reviews, please visit freshofthepodcast.com. Thank you for listening and your support. Goodbye and good night. Fresh is the word.